All right, well, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. In our last study, uh, we began uh, this. I thought we were going to get through all of it. We didn't, but uh, what God says. So this is simply part two of that message. But to give a little bit of background and context as we head to the end of this chapter. And, and the reason I take the time to do these little recaps like this, because I, I mean, we, we are so used to hearing a verse here and a verse there. And we, sometimes we just don't even know the context and what's going on around it. But I believe that when we, when we learn the context and we keep that in mind and we see the uh, statement like all scripture is given by inspiration of God, now all of a sudden the force of that truth becomes all the more powerful in light of the context. So Paul's given a description beginning at chapter 3 of what the last days are going to look like. And he says that there are going to be perilous times, that there's going to be ungodly people. And he gives a description of them beginning in verse 2, verse 3, uh, verse 4. And as you go through that list, you see a group of people that you're like, yeah, that looks like my world today. That looks like what's happening. And we continue to read through this. And Paul says, you know, but you, verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. I mean, there's those that are, that are evil men, and the times are going to be perilous, but you're a different kind of a person, Timothy. You're a person that has carefully followed my doctrine and my truth, but if you follow this, verse 12, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to encounter difficulty and trouble, and it's not going to get better as time goes along, verse 13. It's going to actually get worse. And worse, evil men are going to grow. And we talked about some of the evil men and the deception that they tried to bring into the church in our study last week. If you weren't here, you might want to go back and listen to that and the specific threats that um, are mounting themselves about the, against the church of Jesus Christ. But how do you stand in a time where it's going to get worse and worse and you're going to suffer persecution? Well, the way you stand is, is by clinging to the word of God. And so he introduces there... In verse 14, the word of the Lord, and all the way through uh, verse 17. If we are going to stand in the last days as things get worse and worse, we must be people of the word. We must be people of the scriptures. We must be people that are hearing it, studying it, obeying it, and trusting in it. And if we don't do that, we will find ourselves being caught up in this deception that is increasing. Let me read to you kind of a summary quote of what uh, chapter 3 is all about. This is by uh, Newt Larson. And he writes, Paul described for Timothy the downward slide of society and mankind, which will proceed with worsening effects during the last days. The moral center of men and women spins out of control. From this portrayal comes a mandate. Believers must reject all false teachers and their ideas enduring the difficult days in which they live. Scripture stands as a foundation for truth. We must preserve its integrity and submit to its transforming power. So in our study last week, the first half of verse 16, we talked about how Scripture, the Word of God, has been given by inspiration of God. The inspiration is the Greek word theonoustia. It's two words, theo, God, noustia, breath, or air. And so actually Scripture is God-breathed. It is the divine revelation of God's thoughts. It's the expressed will of the Lord. And this is what sits on your lap. You know what God thinks. You don't even know what you think sometimes, do you? What do you think about this? I don't know. Well, you know what God thinks. You may be sitting next to the person around you. You may think you know what they think. They probably would disagree with you. Say, so you have no idea what I'm thinking. But you and I, we have the word of God given to us. And not only do we have the word of God, it's in Corinthians, it also talks about how the spirit of God has been given to us. And so we may not know what another man thinks, but we know what God thinks because his spirit dwells within us and we also have his scriptures. Amazing, isn't it? That we have this kind of connection, this kind of insight into the heart and the mind of the Lord because he wants us to know him. And so we go from glory to glory, having this understanding of the Lord. As we continue on in chapter 16, or verse 16, into verse 17, we're going to see some of the benefits that come from the Word of God. And let's just begin there with the benefits 
of God's truth. And we read in verse 16, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me read to you verse 16 from the New Living Translation. All scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do, uh, uh, teaches us to do what is right. And so how does that strike you? Does that sound like, yes, Lord, bring it on? Or is that like, well, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want to be corrected. I don't know if I want to be rebuked. I don't know if I want to be reproved. I kind of like the way I'm living my life right now, and I don't want anybody to disrupt it. If it's out of, you know, if it's all messed up, don't tell me because I'm having a really good time. No, the Word of God will, will correct you. The Lord, Word of God will rebuke you. The, Lord of, the Word of God will give you instruction in righteousness, make you complete, and get you prepared for every good work. So the first thing on the list is that of the benefits of God's truth is doctrine. The Bible tells us what God thinks and believes, and therefore, we don't have to depend upon man's opinions. We don't have to go and find out, oh, would somebody please write a book so I can figure this out? The book's been written. It's called the Bible. And you have the inspired, God-breathed thoughts and mind and will of God in your lap, the Word of God. And it is sad that many have rejected the truth of God and lived without insight and the wisdom of God for both this life and the next. And I just, listen, I've been a believer my whole life. I've been exposed to the word of God my entire life. And I cannot think of living this life without that insight, without that wisdom, without that truth, without that teaching. And if you're here today and you have yet to come and discover the beauty and the wonder of God's word, then I pray you do before you walk out and that you will allow it to begin to instruct you and teach you. The word doctrine here can also just be translated teaching. It's teaching. The Bible is profitable for teaching. Any doctrine pertaining to faith in God that can be substantiated from the word of God, um, or excuse me, negative, any doctrine or teaching that is not from the Word of God, cannot be substantiated by the Word of God, needs to be dismissed. You need, you need to set it aside. And, and you're like, well, yeah, but there's a lot of information out there. Right, so narrow. Narrow is the path. Isn't this what the Lord said? And we need to allow the Word of God to be the final statement when it comes to matters of faith and doctrine and practice. In other words, practice meaning how you live your life, how we conduct ourselves. What are we to think about God? How has he revealed himself? And, and you say, well, there's so many other writings. There's so many other ideas out there. And yes, there are. And the Bible warns us about those and tells us that it's scripture that we need to be reading. It's, it's, this is the book that's inspired. There's not other books that God has given us his uh, uh, inspired mind and thoughts on. It is found in the scriptures and in the scriptures alone. It's not to say that there's not any truth found in any other writing, but that this is God's truth and this is the means by which he wants to communicate. And you may find a truth here or there, but the problem is you're also going to find a lot of false teaching. You're going to find a lot of things that will, will lead you away from God and will lead you away from the way he wants you to live your life. We need to also be aware of this idea that we should have doctrine-free Christianity. And it's not so popular anymore, but I can remember when we first got here um, 27 years ago, so probably about 20 years ago, this whole idea that you know, the church kind of all of a sudden became ashamed that she had doctrine. And so it's like, well, we're not going to put our doctrinal statement out there. We're not going to let what people, uh, people know what we believe. They just get to hear or that we don't want to be a church that's all into doctrine, which is crazy because doctrine only means teaching. And that same person who said that is up teaching every single week. What is he teaching from? Hopefully he's teaching from the Word of God. And he's giving doctrine. He's giving, giving teaching. But we're not embarrassed that we have truth that we have instruction, that we have a, a, a revelation about the Lord. 
And so the, the idea and the thinking is, well, listen, doctrine ends up dividing people. And so, you know, the most important thing is unity. So we're willing to, you know, not talk about doctrine and just have unity. But I'm here to tell you that is not the most important thing. It is important. Jesus prayed for it before he went to the cross. We're exhorted to strive for unity. But unity at any cost? Unity at the cost of the truth of Scripture? No. The Word of God stands, and we come and we unify around the Word of God. But if people are unwilling to accept the Word of God and the truth, and that puts us in conflict with them, then that is a conflict we'll have to be willing to walk through. Because we don't compromise God's word simply because people don't like it. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't like the word of God. They didn't like the word that dwelt and tabernacled among them. And they, they crucified him. Is it any surprise that the words and the teaching that he has given to us will still be under assault today? We're not naive. We understand that people, the enemy, is going to stir people up to have this. No, listen, we don't want to fight needlessly. And there are certainly different interpretations that, you know, Bible-believing Christians may have about one passage or another. I am not necessarily making reference to that. I am referring to the foundational truths of the Christian faith, like Jesus was born of a virgin, like the incarnation, what we just sang of God became flesh, like he died on the cross, he rose from the dead three days later. These truths, the cardinal doctrines of the faith, we're not going to set those aside. And if somebody doesn't like them, then it is their conflict with the word but we must speak the truth. The word of God alone is the book that is profitable for doctrine. And it's on your lap. And so we must study this book. We must read this one. The next thing on the list, there in verse 16, the second benefit of God's truth is that it reproves us. The word of God will rebuke our thinking and belief system. Now, if you've been raised in a Christian home your entire life, from the time you're a little child, this may not be as obvious as a person, as an adult that's coming maybe outside of just a life of live however you want to or a life of maybe another religion. Now you come in and when you read the word of God, it is reproving that belief system that you have. This is why the, the world can't get so angry at the Bible. This is why the world doesn't want the Bible in, in the public square, because it reproves them. It rebukes their belief system, and they don't want that to be rebuked. And so they seek to silence the word of God. Are the things that I am thinking and believing what God thinks and believes? Hopefully that's a priority to you. Hopefully... There would be a shudder in you to think that you have arrived at a, a, an understanding of him, others, yourself, um, and how to live your life that would be different and that you're walking that out and, and you don't know that. I mean, I, hopefully that would cause you to think, Lord, God, please step in, speak to me. And that's why we need to be in the word of God is because it will correct that belief system that uh, we have. It may, it, hopefully, what it's doing is it's affirming what you already know and have been taught from the Word of God. And then you're just, you're, you're being reestablished in that understanding, but reproving. What we think and believe is challenged with new ideas every day, isn't it? And there's, we live in a time when new ideas and new information comes at us so fast. So much information headed our way that we've never heard of um, news reports. It could be innocent information, but it could also be information about the way you live life, the way you think about life, the way you think about the conduct of your life, the way you think about God. And this stuff is just is coming at us at 100 miles an hour. And really, at a, like it never has in the history of man. If there's ever a generation of the church that needs to be biblically minded and continually reproved, it would be us. Because the information is coming in so fast and so repeatedly. And if you don't allow the word of God to come in and correct that, before you know it, you'll start to be off a degree here and a degree there. And eventually, if it's un it remains uncorrected in your life, you can years later end up in a place where your faith doesn't sound like the Christian faith anymore. Sadly, some of you are saying, I know that person. 
Maybe you're even saying, yeah, that sounds like me. I no longer believe the way I used to believe. What's happening? Other ideas, maybe even from within yourself, are beginning to undermine what has already been delivered. This is why Jesus said in Luke 8.18, therefore, take heed how you hear. Jesus saying, you better pay attention to how you hear, what you hear, what comes in. For whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Hopefully that just causes each and every one of us to sit up straight and think, how am I hearing the word of God? How am I hearing what the Lord has to say? Because what I have been given, I don't want that taken away from me. I want more. I want more insight from the word of God. I want more uh, understanding of the character and nature of the Lord, not less and less. And so the Lord gives us this warning to be careful how we hear. Listening to people is no substitute for the word of God. And listen, um, at the end, we're going to talk about how to have a quiet time. And this is what I'll say about, um, you know, I'll raise my hand first. I, you know, I will use devotionals, I'm, I, you know, utmost for my highest or morning and evening. I love these. These are great tools. And, I'm, you know, often I, I will read them. But you know, I just want to challenge you, and maybe you got daily bread or something else, and you're reading of Scripture, and then somebody is giving you all the information. Kind of like what you're having happen right now. You know, somebody is talking about the Word of God. And this is, this is biblical, this is right, this is true. But I just want to say to you, learn to digest your spiritual food on your own. You be the one to take in the Word of God and figure out how to chew it and digest it and bring it into your life. There is safety in that. There is a nourishment in that that you cannot get through reading devotionals and and, and all the rest. I'm not saying they're bad. I I use them. But I also know how to digest the word of God for myself. I'm not letting anybody chew on the word of God for me and say, here you go. I'm going to do that because I want to know and I want to be corrected. Which really, there's got to be a humility in our life if we're going to allow the word of God to reprove us. Don't you think? Because who wants to admit what you're thinking and you're believing is wrong? And listen, if you've walked with the Lord for 10 years, you have had your thinking and your understanding about conduct and God corrected at some point in time. If you're being honest and you're allowing the word of God to speak, you have had your thoughts corrected. And you've heard me say this many times. It's like, you know, I'll go back through a Bible study I taught before. I'm like, Yeah, that's wrong. Now listen, cardinal doctrines of the faith, the establishment of there, but maybe a particular interpretation on a passage. And and you grow and you understand. And so we need to be willing to be instructed by the word. And there's no better place to be instructed than you opening your Bible and reading it and studying it and taking God's reproof for anything that's out of place. Well, the next thing, so closely related to uh, the reproving, is that it corrects us. So if reproving is the word of God rebuking our thinking and belief system, then the correction is telling us we're wrong in our practice. So reproof more dealing with the mind and my thoughts and my understanding, my system of belief, whereas the correction that we read here in verse 16, is dealing with my practice, my actions, my attitude. Hey, what you said to him, how you said it to her, that wasn't right. And the word of God begins to deal with it. You know, you think about, you know, uh, you know a soft answer, turning away wrath. Or you, you, you talk about, um, you know, being, speaking only those words which are good for the necessary edification and building up of the body of Christ. And you begin to think about that, that instruction coming into your life. And it corrects a practice of maybe a harsh tone you've taken with somebody. And this is something that, again, we should be welcoming in. Change my lifestyle. Lord, make me look more like you. And we need to respond to that correction. And the conviction that comes from the Spirit of God as we interact with the Word of God. 
not resistant. You know, again, humility, just like with the reproof of my belief system, a humility to have my life and my speech and my thoughts, my actions corrected by the word of God. I felt so justified in what I did, and yet you encounter the word of God, and it's like, yeah, but that wasn't right. It's like, okay, what do you do? Do you, do you begin to argue for your position, or do you humbly yield to that correction? Think about what James said, is that we should not just be hearers of the word, but we should also be what of the word? Doers. That we shouldn't be like the man who comes and looks into the mirror and quickly forgets what he looks like. You go and you look in the mirror, and if you see a big barbecue stain on your face, you probably might want to wipe that off. But if you don't wipe it off and you walk away, then you can go around all day long with a big barbecue stain on your face. And, you know, this is how we are with the Word of God sometimes, aren't we? We come into the Word, we come into a Bible study, we sit down with fellowship with a brother or sister in the Lord, and they begin to talk about their zeal, their passion, and what God's doing. Maybe they don't even speak to you. Maybe you don't even respond to what they're saying. But meanwhile, back in front of the mirror, you're like, i got I got to adjust some things in my life. I see this action or this attitude is not right. And we need to learn to respond at those moments and not walk away and let them remain there and not have its impact upon us. The next thing that we read is that um, it instructs us in righteousness. It doesn't just point out our wrong thinking and our wrong conduct. It tells us what to do. I mean, if, if all the Word of God says, that's wrong, don't think that, don't act like that, and that's all it said to us, but we are never told what the right thing is to do, we would be at a great disadvantage. But the Word of God tells us how to live a righteous life. It tells us what a Christian marriage should look like. The Word of God. It's, not, it's very simple instruction. It's not hard instruction at all. So we have that. How to raise our children. How children should be obedient to their parents. How we should react with people in our community, our neighbors, our enemies. How we should respond to the government. The Bible tells us. It instructs us in what a righteous life looks like. It tells us the things we ought to think. It tells us the things we ought to do. Righteous living is, the, is a goal that should be on the heart and mind of every believer. Have you, have, when's the last time you've read through Psalm 119? You don't have to answer. But if you haven't read through Psalm 119 in some time, maybe you can read that before the end of the day. Just read Psalm 119 and listen to the passion and the hunger of these men to have the Word of God have impact on their, on their life and on their thinking. I mean, they say things like, it's good that I've been afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Well, the so committed to being instructed in righteousness, if I've got to be in a place where I'm being chastised or every, all the wheels are falling off of my life so that I could actually hear what you have to say and better learn how to walk out your statutes, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Just such a commitment to being instructed in righteousness. 1 Peter 1, 16-21 talks about this righteous life. It says, Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So while you're on earth, walk in fear. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, Without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Why do we want to live a righteous life? Because Jesus. Lived, uh, God calls us to live a righteous life, and Jesus came to redeem us, to cleanse us, that we might be holy people. That should be all the motivation you need. Why do you want to be instructed in righteousness? Because I want to look more like Jesus. I look up to him. 
I admire him. He's the kind of man that I want to be. He represents the kind of life that I should live, to be the kind of uh, a woman that is pleasing in his sight. I want to be like Jesus. We're not wanting to just follow, as I've, say, I've said many times, simply follow some moral code so that at the end of the day we can say, I punched the moral code, I kept the commandments I was supposed to, and I didn't do the things that I wasn't supposed to. That's not the motivation, just to simply be moral. The goal is to be holy. And there is a big difference between the two of them. The legalist wants to be moral, but the Christian who's following Jesus wants to be holy. And allow that to impact your life. Because if you're in the place where you're going, well, I don't know if I want to you know, do this other commandment. I mean, why do I have to do that commandment? I mean, I don't even know if I agree with that. Because you want to be like Jesus. It kind of just it levels everything down, doesn't it? If this is what Jesus said and this is his word, then I want to follow it. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. There's another good reason. To live a righteous life. He blesses those who walk in righteousness. Maybe read Psalm 1 today. Another psalm to read. And how the Lord blesses the life that abides in him. So it will correct us. It will reprove us. It gives us teaching. It instructs us on how to live a righteous life as defined by God. And then next, it brings completeness to our life. Which is, what a beautiful thing. Verse 17. That the man of God may be complete. Think of complete in terms of mature or fullness. That the man of God, the woman of God might be full. That she might be fully mature. That is what the word of God does in our lives. It makes us mature. It develops us into people that will be complete. When we fail to study the word of God and walk in the word of God, we become weak and unfulfilled because we're alienating ourselves from the heart and the mind of God. Again, this is the expressive mind and will of God. And we're not, when we push it aside, we're distancing ourselves from the heart and the mind of God. And, and then we begin to suffer. We begin to lack a, a, the maturity. We begin to find that living a righteous life, man, is so hard and so difficult. You know, there are things that will challenge us at any point in time. But I will say this. The more you abide in the word of God, the easier it is to walk out a righteous life. Because it's working in you to make you mature. You may look at your life and say, I have such a long ways to go in the Christian faith. Okay, great. That's a wonderful observation to have, and all of us probably have had that. I'll never make it. No, you, you will make it, because you know what the Word of God does? It makes you complete. It makes you mature. Here's what doesn't make you mature. Reading a list of things to do and saying, all right, I'm going to be more kind. And you walk out, more kind, more kind, more kind, more kind. And it doesn't pop out like that. But if you will abide in the words of the Lord, if you will continue in the scripture and you will read them, it will bring about in you a maturity. And now the fruit of your life, the fruits of the spirit, it's not the fruit of Troy Warner. You don't want to taste that stuff, okay? You want to taste the fruit of the spirit in Troy Warner's life. And so when I'm abiding in the word of God, it is maturing me. It is developing in me the patience, the kindness, the generosity, the love. All of these things, the fruits of the spirit, long-suffering, patience. This is what we need in our life. And if you and I will allow the word of God to interact on our life, this is what it will produce in us. Now here's the interesting thing. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that there is a fullness and a completeness that we should have. And that fullness and completeness is in Christ Jesus. But here we're reading that the word of God brings us completeness. So which is it? And the answer is yes, both of them. And let me just read to you, I think i got about five or six scripture verses here that, that speak of how the word of God is all about Jesus. Luke 24, 27. And beginning at Moses, all the prophets... He expounded to them 
in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the scriptures teach us about Jesus. Wouldn't have you loved to have heard this message? Too bad they didn't have a little voice recorder and could have heard that one. I hope somewhere it's in the archives of heaven that when we get up there, we can just sit down and download that and listen to that message he preached on the road to Emmaus. John 1.45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Again, the scriptures write of him. John 5.39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. You see the connection? When you get into the word of God, you're getting into the character and the nature and the person of the Lord, and you will see him. Acts 3.24, yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. And lastly, Acts 10.43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will have remission of sin. So it doesn't matter where you go in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, maybe that's the first time you're ever hearing that. He thought the only time you could encounter Jesus is in the New Testament. Now, you're not going to find his name in the Old Testament, but what you will find is that the prophets were speaking of him or the events that were happening were prefiguring an event in Jesus' life. Like when Abraham takes his only son Isaac and he goes up on Calvary, Golgotha, to offer up his son as a sacrifice and and God the Father stops Abraham from sacrificing his only son Isaac and says, stop, I will prepare myself a sacrifice. And on that same spot, the Father sent his son and Jesus died as the only begotten of the Son of God for our sins. And so even in Abraham... And Isaac, an ancient uh, account of the patriarchs, it's prefiguring what Jesus was going to do. It's quite fun as you read the scriptures to look for Jesus because he said they're all about me. You know, really what we should say is what uh, certain Greeks said when they came. In John 12, 20 and 21, it says, There were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Isn't that how every one of our quiet times, interactions with the Word of God should be? Driving down the road, walking into church, and just to speak to the Father, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus in the Scriptures. This is so important for us. So as you read, you see Jesus And as you see Jesus, you are being made complete in him through the word of God. We also see that not only does it make us complete, but what's the last thing that we read there in verse 17 that it does? It will thoroughly equip us for every good work. It's going to make you ready to serve Jesus. Oh, I can't do that. You know, Troy, you know, you went to seminary, you know, you went to Bible college, you've been made ready. Well, let me tell you, I finished my degree a few years ago. And so I've been in full-time ministry for, I don't know, for a long time. I don't know, 30-something years or something like that. Things that old people say. You know, 33 years. And um, I think that's right about how long I've been in full-time ministry. So... 29, 20, 30 of those years, 31 of those years, I didn't have a degree. I just dug into the Word of God. I'm not against it. Obviously, I went and got that degree. I'm not against it. But, but here's what I want you to know. Don't ever say, well, I can't know this because, you know, I didn't go to Bible school or I didn't go to seminary. Strike that from your lips because it's not the seminary that makes you thoroughly equipped. And it's not the professor that makes you thoroughly equipped. What makes you thoroughly equipped for every good work? It's the word of God. It's sitting on your lap. It's on your phone. It's it's everywhere you go. The word of God is there. And it will equip you in every possible way to do good work. You're not at a disadvantage. Imagine right now if every seminary and every institution that instructs in the word of God Um, was to be taken away from you, and all you had was your Bible. You're fine. I'm not downplaying what they do. Praise the Lord for Bible-believing institutions, men and women that are in teaching people the Word of God. 
We should be thankful for them. But if they were all gone, you still got your Bible. And it's your Bible that for the last 2,000 years since this was written has been equipping the church every single generation, many of whom will never have the opportunity to go to a school. But the Word of God, it will make you ready for every single situation. And the Lord uses gifted people within the church to aid that process. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he, Jesus, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, that's that complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, we're, we're, we're coming to look like Jesus. That's, that's the whole process here, is to be like him. We want to see him so we can imitate him and be like him. So God gives gifted people to the church to equip. How do they equip? Well, if they know their Bible, they know that it's the word of God that thoroughly equips them for every word, uh, good work. So it's going to be the word of God that's being communicated and being taught. Listen, I love books. I read books um, all the time. Um, every day, I'm interacting, I'm reading a book. But I want you to know something. There's only one book that gives these promises. And, um, you know, I'm not against them. I'm for them. You hear me quote from them all the time. But I, but I want you to, to check yourself on this. Because if you find yourself going more to a book to be equipped and to understand the Lord and to understand how to live, then you're going to the Bible. You need to bring some balance into your life. If you always have to have the podcast rather than just a quiet time, I just, just change things up. I'm not saying don't ever read a book again or don't ever listen to a good godly podcast again. I'm just saying the word of God, you know, we should be going there and allowing it to have the impact upon our life. What a, what a hopeful thing. Some of you want to be in full-time ministry. You want to be out on the mission field. You want to do a better job just living your life here and whatever career you have and serving the body of Christ. And Lord, I want, to, I want to do a better job. Open your Bible. Read it. The more you know the word, the more the Lord will use his word in your life and through your life. There's a group of young believers that were found in Thessalonica. And Paul wrote to them, it's 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And they were new believers. It would seem that Paul had maybe as short as only three weeks' time to be with them. But he had preached to them, they gave their life, and they, he began to disciple them. And what, how they responded to the word of God is how we need to respond to the word of God. Look at this verse. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So the word of God works in us, as we talked about, making us more like Jesus, bearing the fruits of the Spirit. But notice that word that's underlined there, welcomed. This word welcomed, is a word that would also be used in hospitality situations. So if somebody came and knocked on your door, you would welcome them into your house. You would receive them into your house. It is, among other things, a hospitality word. I want you to ponder your hospitality as I ponder my hospitality towards the word of God when it comes knocking on the door of my heart, when it touches my mind. What is the response? How do you um, prepare for guests that are going to come and be staying at your house? Hopefully, you'll probably do some cleaning up. You're going to make certain you have stuff to feed them. You're going to, you know, make, you know, clean sheets. You're going to, whatever you do to make the house or the, the apartment ready for people to come. You go and you do this. And you're like, no, I don't do that. Well, you need to start doing that. I'm just a little, little pro tip there, Okay. Do those things and welcome people into your house. And so as they come in, you usually will greet them at the door. 
If you don't do that, you might want to try getting off your lazy boy, lazy guy, and go to the door and welcome them into your house. And it's, it, all of that communicates, we're glad that you're here. Welcome into our house. Come and be comfortable. And we need to welcome the word of God. So when you think about the quiet time, don't think, oh, I'm five days behind in my quiet times. i got to get this done so I can check that little box. No, don't do that. Just go welcome the word of God into your life. Go welcome it. I mean, honestly, I think, yes, be diligent in your quiet times, but we, we can really get, twist that whole thing up. And it turns into this legalistic thing where we did it, but we didn't actually welcome the word of God into our life. We just interacted with it. And there was no kindness. There was no welcoming. There's no generosity towards the word in our life. You know, what did Jesus say in John chapter 15? He talked about abiding, you know, in us, or us abiding in him. He also talked in John about how he and the Father would come and make our hearts his home, right? What a beautiful thing. And that he would manifest himself to us. Now, if you're a guest... And the people go to sleep, don't rearrange the furniture in the living room and rearrange all the cupboards because you think it could flow a little bit better if you would do that. That's not your place to do that, is that? If you, if you do that and people wake up in the morning, you may not be staying there the next night. You have overstepped your, your, your bounds. Well, they were so hospitable. Yeah, but you don't do that, okay? They have it the way they want it. Be a good guest. But the word of God guess what? It does get to rearrange the furniture in our life. It does get to rip down that 1970s wallpaper that's probably coming back in style right now. But you know what I'm saying? It, it, gets, to, it gets to take that off. It gets to paint the walls of your house whatever color it wants. It gets to take out of your cupboards whatever it, it, the Word of God desires, and it puts back in whatever it wants. We welcome the word of God into our life, not just like a guest, because we, the Lord is, man, wants, is making our hearts his home. So therefore, we welcome his word, which is all about him, into our lives, and we say, Lord, are you happy with the way the furniture is set up? Lord, do you like what's in the closets? Lord, how about the cupboards? Do you like what I'm eating? Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to rearrange? And here's the great thing. You can have complete confidence that whatever wallpaper comes down, whatever furniture is thrown out the window, whatever cabinets are emptied in your life or closets are cleaned out, they will be replaced with better things. You'll love the remodel if you'll just let them do it. And here's what I found. The remodel never seems to end. Kind of like owning a house, right? When do you get to stop working on your house? <laughs> when you sell it. That's when you get to stop working on your house. It, it just, you know, anybody who believes in evolution does never own a home because my home is not evolving and getting better. It is constantly falling apart, right? So spiritually speaking, my life is constantly needing the work of the word of God in it. And so I welcome it. And, you know, and sometimes it's, it's the Lord and you alone that see it. It's just him speaking to you and bringing you in front of the mirror and saying, hey, let's change this. So, yes, welcome the word of God into your life. So we have a few minutes here left. And I want to talk about how we can have a quiet time. Now, for some of you, you've walked with the Lord for a long time. You have thriving, awesome, quiet times. Um, wonderful. I'm not asking you to change them, but I would ask you this. Do you know how to help somebody else have a quiet time? You know how to do it, but can you pass that on? And here's something that um, I have found is a really simple tool, yet effective. I don't mean simple as in simplistic, but a really good tool to get into the Word of God. And if you didn't receive the handout when you came in on your way out, they have them for you and you can pick them up. And so I just want to talk about the importance. First of all, I'll say this. You can read through the entire Bible from you know, Genesis to Revelation in one year if you read for 12 minutes a day. 
12 minutes a day. I can never read the whole Bible. Uh, yeah, you can. 12 minutes a day, you can do that. Um, and so that, that's one aspect, of course, just a basic you know, way, just to hear the word of God. But, but we're to meditate upon the word of God, and that's essentially what I'm, I'm putting here in front of you. Here's a way for you to meditate uh, on the word of God. So number one, get ready. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to you in the pages of the Bible. Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. And come with the journal and an open heart. Oh, I, I definitely not going to do the journal thing. I don't like to write things down. Well, if your mind works in such a way that you can read it and you can begin to do all of these things around the Word of God, wonderful. But if you say, I hardly ever get anything out of my quiet time, then get a journal and begin to write things down. And be amazed at how the Spirit of God responds to you when He sees you seeking Him with your whole heart. And the beauty is you can take this journal with you throughout the day. Secondly, what does this verse or thought mean? This is basically the interpretation side. If you don't know a word, if you don't know the name of a person, you can look these up. You might want to write down blueletterbible.org where you can go to definitions, you can go to understanding who people are. Um, it's just a ton of resources there. Spend an hour on it, and then when you go to have your quiet time, you will know how to access that information quickly. Um, so after you've defined the words, you define, you identify people, restate that verse or that passage in your own words. So you're interpreting it. You're not rewriting scripture, you're interpreting it. Number three, what does the passage say about God? We're going to get a little more specific here. Uh, note his actions. How does he interact with men and nations? How does he interact with people? What is it that he um, is, is like in those interactions? Are there any characteristics that are spoken of? Is he merciful? Is he kind? Is he long-suffering? Is he patient? Is he uh, um, angry? And le learn about the characteristics of God. Um, number three, are there any actions he forbids or encourages? And you're just writing these down. Simple observation. Number four. What does this passage say about me? Is there any sin I should avoid? A promise to hold on to? A command to follow? And if there is, write it down. Write down that command. Is there something that I should not be doing? Is there, any, is there a way of thinking or acting I have been neglecting? You know, but as you read the scriptures, there it is again. I know what I'm doing is not right. I know my attitude is not right. And now you can begin to interact with the Lord around that. Number five, what does the passage say about others? Mistakes they made, victories they had, uh, commendable attitudes that they, um, that they walked in and modeled. Is there a failure they, they had that you should avoid? Um, is there an example in their life? How should you follow that example? So you're just looking for things for observation. And lastly, well, the last part where you actually are, are writing down and in the passage is you, you, you do the application. Am I living in agreement with the truths discovered about God, others, and myself? Because we don't want to be just the man who looks in the mirror and walks away. We want to be those that are doers of the word. Well, if you're not, why not? What is keeping you from doing that? Are you afraid that God's word is not true? Are you afraid to give something up? Why is it that you're unwilling to, do, to be obedient? What changes do you need to make in your actions or thinking to live in agreement with the truths discovered about God, um, others, and yourself? Then lastly, close in prayer and review your notes throughout the day. So you, you just begin to pray over these things. Now, listen, there is a way for you to get that information, and it could just be rote, you know, uh, activity. But the goal is, sirs, we would like to see Jesus. I want to be changed to look more and more like him. And when you come with that attitude and that heart, and you begin to contemplate this, you know what's going to happen? The Spirit of God is going to instruct you in those moments. You're not going to have to fill out every single thought because God will be speaking to you and God will be teaching you from his word. So maybe plan for 12 minutes to read through a passage.
and then land on a certain section of that, spend 12 minutes and study. If you're not having a quiet time, now you got 24, 25 minutes invested, and you'll go through the entire Bible in a year. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And then you could do it other If you want to go slower, go slower. <laughs> That's fine. There's many different ways you can do this. Now, I'm giving this, uh, these questions to you, and now I'm going to tell you what we're working on. Um, soon, hopefully at the beginning of the year or shortly thereafter, we'll have some journals that we're actually going to make up. And we're just going to say something like, uh, time in the Word in the book of Philippians. These questions will be in the front of it. There'll be a sample answers to a passage that has been worked out. Uh, then there'll be, you know, Philippians chapter 1. There'll be some pages for you to write the answers down. And at the back of the book, there's going, journal, there's going to be some tools and resources, some other information, maybe an outline of the book and key, you know, personalities. Um, bare bones information that allows you to interact with the Word of God. And we're going to ask all of you to just pick those up and, uh, and, and get together with some of your wife, your kids, some of your roommate some people in the church, maybe somebody you work with, and just begin to do this. And this is my thought. If we can be faithful to do this for one year, all of us would know how to interact around the Word of God much better than we do right now. And that can only be a good thing. We will be more complete. We will be more thoroughly equipped. We're going to be reproved throughout the year. We're going to be corrected. We're going to be instructed in righteousness. And we're going to experience the good things that God is giving to us, not withholding it because we're walking uprightly. So you can be in prayer for that. You don't have to wait for that. You can start. you got the questions, especially if you know how to interact with the Word of God already. Grab somebody and say, let's do this together, and let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. And we just acknowledge that we are blessed to have it, and we receive it, Lord. If it's corrected us or instructed us today, we count that as incredible favor that you would rebuke us, Lord, for something that's not right in our thinking, that you would correct us in an action or an attitude. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to hear from you. Um, I pray, Lord, you would make this a coming year just one of the best years ever for us as individuals, as families, as a body of believers, digging into your word because you've given it to us, and it is what you think. And so it's worth our time and it's worth our effort. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.